Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for my friend and yours, Andrew Bucket. Andrew Bucket, everybody. Tell me, do you think it'd be alright if I could just crash here tonight? Well, I'm no shape for driving, and anyway, I got no place to go. No, it might not be that bad. You were the best I ever had. If I hadn't blown the whole thing years ago, I might not be alone. Tomorrow we can drive around this town and let the cops chase us around. Andrew Bucket, everybody. We're doing it. We're doing the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everyone. Everyone? Is it everyone or everybody? How long have I been doing this show? How long have I been doing this show? Ten years. I've been doing this show for ten years. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. Uh, I've been doing this show for ten years, and I've known Andrew Bucket for a, a few of those years, and I've known some of our guests for a few of those years, and I'm, I've known one of our guests for the last half hour. So it's a wonderful thing, and I appreciate you coming out to this wonderful event at the Smithsonian American Art Museum and not the Renwick Gallery. And I want to also thank everyone listening at home or in a cubicle or on a train, not trying to do work, but not not trying to do work because you still want to collect that check. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being in the room. I really appreciate it. That is complete sincerity. Sometimes the guest determines the monologue. Now, this is the monologue. This is the part of the show where the host says funnies or stories. I'm going to do something of both. Probably not the funny part. We'll see how that lands. Okay, so sometimes the guest determines the monologue. Now, tonight's guest is an extremely talented reporter. She covers religion for the Washington Post. So I had to rack my brains. How, do I have any stories that I lived through or anything that maybe shaped who I am due to religion? And there is. There is one story. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. It was called The Wick, which sounds like white power propaganda. And it is, but not this specific edition of the newspaper. So we'll get to that in a second. It's okay to laugh, Jesus Christ. I just realized I opened with white power stuff. This is not a, a rally of any sorts. We are, I don't know what the Smithsonian stance on white power is, but you, me, them, everybody, that's the name of the show. We are against it. Line in the sand, not for white power. There's a reason why I no longer have a number one on the sides because I look like Richard Spencer. Anyways, here we go. Back to high school. I was the editor of my high school paper. I got this job not because I applied, but because it was given to me. If you've never seen me in person, know that I am a straight white man in America, and that's how things work. The reason why, the actual reason why I got the job of editor-in-chief of my high school paper called The Wick is because I really liked my teacher, and the teacher ran the newspaper. Now, everyone else on the newspaper was an honors student. He only taught honors, and he taught one other class that was not honors. And I wasn't in honors because... At a young age, I realized it's not really worth it. Just do the bare minimum and do whatever you want outside of it. And that's why I'm here at the Smithsonian. Kids, it works. Anyways, I was given the role of editor-in-chief of the newspaper because I got along well with the teachers. And similar to being in a band or in an improv group, don't ever be in an improv group. If you're considering it, just do your own thing. If you've ever wanted to be in a group, talent doesn't really matter. Getting along with people does. Andrew Bucket's a very talented musician, but I didn't bring him up here for his ability to play the j chords of the gin blossoms. I brought him up here because we are friends and we can get along. Anyways, back to high school. That was really good. That was really good. He's drinking rosé from a little cup. That's true. Okay. So I was here to my high school newspaper, and uh, I decided to have some fun with it. So we had our first issue come out in September of 2000. It was the early part of the school year. And I decided to write something about the not-hit film Dogma by the director, Kevin Smith. And the reason why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to run a photo of Buddy Jesus on the cover of the high school newspaper called The Wick. Buddy Jesus is a simple statue in the movie. You can still buy it at comic book shops in miniature statue format. It's just Jesus, kind of a ripped Jesus, cartoon-looking Jesus, giving a thumbs up. Perfectly fine. I also ran an op-ed from a student in the newspaper about how difficult it is for her to be gay in high school. So, <laughs> sure, that is actually the sound of all uh, high school sexuality, period. Okay, newspaper comes out on a Friday of September 2000, and within 10 minutes, I am called down to the office. 
So I'm called down to the office, and in the office is a, is a priest, because I don't know if you figured it out yet, I went to a Catholic high school, and that's why I wanted to run a photo, a picture of Buddy Jesus on the cover of the high school newspaper. Not because it meant anything. I don't know if you guys know this. Dogma came out in 1999. There was absolutely no reason for me to put Buddy Jesus on the cover of a high school newspaper in September 2000. Oh boy, how things changed one year later. Anyways, so I decided to put that on the cover of the newspaper, and I did, because you know, I'm a bad boy, and that's why I stand on this uh, monitor like this. This is what bad boys do. I got in trouble with the priest. He gave me some religious text to read and said, think about your actions. And I go, okay, whatever, fuck off. And I, and I go back to class, whatever. Monday, I get called down to the office because they actually read the paper and they said, hey, what's the name of the person that wrote this op-ed? I'm, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna tell you that. She didn't feel comfortable enough to tell anyone her problems. That's why she wanted to run an op-ed in a high school newspaper. And they said, no, that's not how this works. And I go, that is how it works, freedom of press. And they're like, it's a private school, idiot. That's not how that works. And they're like, I'm touche, and I was fired instantly. That led to me starting a zine. <laughs> Here's the fun thing about zines. If you're healthy, you don't know what they are. And based on your reactions and your laughter, you don't know what they are. So zines were like the internet before the internet. The man laughing is as old as me, so he understands what I'm saying. So I wrote zines, and I railed against uh, the stolen election of 2000, and I, I ran pieces about uh, pedophilia and uh, priest diddling kids. <laughs> I was gonna like ask the Smithsonian, like, hey, could I talk about this? And then I just checked Twitter in the last two hours, and guess what, it's fine, it's still happening. So anyways, uh, I, I did that, and then I got called down to the office again. And they're like, you can't just put zines in lockers. And I was like, why not? They're like, you, you just can't, it's propaganda. It's like, I'm like, no, it's not, I'm 17. No one really gives a shit. Let's be honest here, I'm just acting out. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been acting out for the last 18 years and it's been a blast. Nothing's gonna change. I'm gonna continue to meet awesome and excellent people. Those are references to two great movies from the 90s. I don't know if you guys know this, the show is founded in the 90s even though it's 10 years old. Andrew Bucket's gonna play. We're gonna talk to fascinating people, some old friends and some news friends. Without further ado, put your hands together once again for Hi. Andrew Bucket. I was standing by my window on a cold and cloudy day when I saw the hearse come rolling for to carry my mother away. May the circle be unbroken. Oh, by and by, Lord, by and by There's a better home awaiting In the sky, Lord, in the sky Now the religion lady's coming in, right? Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Washington, Rep Washington Post religious, religion reporter. That's Julie, why I did that song. Julie Zalzmer, everybody. Julie, come to the stage. Andrew Bucket, please play five to ten more seconds of the exact same song. May the circle be unbroken. Oh, by and by, Lord, by and by. I picked a Christian song to represent all religion. What do you... Julie, welcome to America. How are you? I think as the religion reporter, I was the one person sitting there swaying and clapping along in the audience. Julie, how are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. So you are a religion reporter for the Washington Post. Yes. When did you begin this position? I've been covering religion for about two years now. Two years ago, did you think you'd still be covering the evangelical so much? Two years ago, I'm not sure I thought I would still be covering religion in two years, but I'm very grateful that I am. Did you think there wouldn't be religion in two years? I did think there would be religion. Okay. I'm fairly well, confident there will continue Why to be did religion. you think that you might not be covering it? <laughs> oh, I just originally came onto this beat. Actually, I just had the very good fortune of my colleague, Sarah, having a baby. And so I came on for six months to cover for her maternity leave and loved it. It was my favorite beat I'd ever had. I'd mostly covered crime before. And so it was sort of a big change. And I got lucky enough to stay on and keep covering this. But it was 
all fairly new to me two years ago. You said you you used to cover crime a lot. I, you're covering religion now. I'd say that you still are covering crime a lot. There are definitely times that those old skills come in handy. Um, I enjoy reading the religious pieces in the Washington Post. I am not a religious man. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would shock you based on everything I've said and done thus far. Well, you do have a Catholic school background. I do have a, but here's the thing. I was not baptized Catholic. I went to Catholic grade school, uh, high school, and college, not Catholic. Wow. I'm indifferent. <laughs> I'm a cool kid that loved Nine Inch Nails. Here's what I want to start with. Um, I would love to keep talking about your reporting. Is that okay with you? Of course. Fantastic. On August 3rd, 2017, uh, you were the author of an art article, Christians are more than twice as likely to blame a person's mm -hmm. poverty on lack of effort. Mm -hmm. This, to me, was no, in no way surprising, but I think to a lot of people, very surprising. Uh, do you want to reveal your religion here? My own religion? Yes. Sure, I'm Jewish. Okay, good. Um, the reason why I ask that is, did this uh, surprise you in any way? Um, I think that the results of this came from a much larger survey that the Post did of rural versus urban voters. Um, I think the results in general, when we broke it down rather than by region but by religion, were not entirely surprising. What was a little bit more surprising to me was digging into some of the theological reasons behind that, starting yeah. to talk to people who said, okay, look, there's real roots to this, and if you go to passages in the Bible that give this impression, there's something to this. It's not just demographics. Um, I would disagree completely. Here's why. <laughs> in your article, this is a paragraph, it's, I think it's like the fourth graph from the last. When comparing demographics and religious factors, the odds of Christians saying poverty was caused by a lack of effort were 2.2 times that of non-Christians. Mm -hmm. Compared to those with no religion, the odds of white evangelicals saying a, a lack of effort causes poverty were 3.2 to 1. Therefore, if you're an atheist, you're much more likely to think that, oh, maybe circumstances and not lack of effort have anything to do with it. Atheists are a pretty small part of that, though. That is mostly people who say when you ask their religion, they say none. Okay. If you ask if they believe in God, if sure. you ask if they're spiritual, if, they're, you know, if they have some sort of faith, if they pray, most of them say yes. Okay. Uh, not everything you cover is sad. No. Some of it's fun. Some yes. Of this is, some of it is funny. Uh, Sometimes. Of, to me, it's very funny. One <laughs> of the most recent pieces you wrote, I think it was like two weeks old, um, their family and friends call the media fake news, but these students mm. want to be journalists. This is from December 8th, and... Uh, you went to Liberty University, yes, is that correct? Yes, had a great trip to Liberty. So if you're listening to the show, you might not know what that is. Liberty University is what? It is the university founded by Jerry Falwell and led by Jerry Falwell Jr. It is one of the most prominent evangelical schools in the world. Yeah, uh, that's a thing. And uh, there's actually a journalism class mm -hmm. as part of it. And, and, and these, these children, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm, I feel very old calling them children. Anyways, uh, some of them want to work for places like the New York Times. They do. It was fascinating to talk to them and to hear them say, yep, everybody around me says, why would you want to go into the mainstream media? The media is fake news, and they want to do it. Do you think they have a chance of succeeding? I do. Yes, yeah, so I was do I. very impressed by them. Yeah. Would you want any of them as your intern at the Washington Post? Sure. Okay. You're, you're of an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, like you said before, you're a Jewish person, a person yes. of the Jewish persuasion. <laughs> Has anyone tried to save you? Oh, many times. Okay. How often does this come up? A lot. Get, did, <laughs> did this happen at Liberty? This, I don't recall this happening at Liberty. Um, one of my favorite times ever that somebody tried to convert me was one of my favorite stories. Um, have you guys heard of Judgment Houses? No, I want to no, no, Okay, please. you have to go to a judgment house. They're so fun. Is this like the haunted house thing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the evangelical version of a haunted house. They do them at Halloween, and instead of a haunted house, it is a walk-through immersive performance of how, if you don't believe, you are going to hell. And it's fantastic theater. <laughs> it's really high performance value. Mm -hmm. And at some point... Somebody told me basically that they knew I was coming that night and they had Googled me and they had told everyone, got to be on your A game tonight because we have a Jew coming. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh. 
And, I guess pun intended. I don't know. Okay. And so you know, a pastor pulled me aside at one point, and he had his Bible with him, and he opened it to Isaiah, and he's saying, how can you read this and not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And that was probably the most time-consuming personal conversion attempt I've had in a while. Um, so but there's you, a lot. Were you in a corner? Were you trapped in a room in a, in a house? Like, how, how did they get to you? I mean, the whole, the whole point of the whole judgment house is to, to display the faith to everybody. And the, the personal part where he pulled me aside was not part of the show. It was just because he knew he had an opportunity. Did you ever listen to the music of Marilyn Manson? No. Okay. So I did, because I'm, I'm a student of history. And... Uh, <laughs> Marilyn Manson's just like, he's Alice Cooper, but with a little bit more production value because Trent Reznor produced his second best record. His best record is Mechanical Animals. Uh, there's no debate about that. That's a fact. And I know that you're a religious reporter, but you should know the best Marilyn Manson record. Anyways, um, so every time I think about Marilyn Manson, I, I'm always shocked. I'm like, how is this guy relevant? And then you tell me that. And I'm like, that's how this guy is relevant now. You know, he got a little pudgy. Anyways, um, when was the last time you covered um, a, another religion that made you think, hey, I like that idea. Maybe, maybe I should be this religion. Maybe I should be a Buddhist. Maybe I should be Muslim. Maybe I should be agnostic. Has anything like hmm. that happened? I think I find something to really deeply like in every, I might make one exception, but in What's almost- What's the exception? Uh, say Zoroastrianism. I don't know if I should say this. No, please do. Um, I think, okay, I will. I will qualify this. I think I find something to really deeply like in every religious group I cover, even if their theology or their politics or something totally doesn't line up with mine. There's something I really deeply appreciate about them. It's a very diplomatic I, answer. But really, I think it would be harder to do this job if I didn't find something to really like in every group that I go spend time with. And it doesn't mean that it makes me reconsider my own faith. It sometimes makes me think more deeply about my faith and try to answer questions about my faith that I've never had to answer before. So are you a more faithful person since taking this position two years ago? Hmm. I mean, I was religious before. Okay. Uh, it's not like that was new to me. In part, the reason I wanted to cover religion was that going back to my college roommates, the four of us were sort of a token diversity room where we're different ethnicities, different regions of the country, different college majors, everything. And we found that we couldn't really talk politics too much because really? we really would argue. Where'd you, but go, we to could where'd you go to school? You went um, to where? To Harvard. What, what school did you go to? <laughs> right, I'm just being a dick. Um, I'm just being a dick. But, Wait, the Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> but we could talk religion. That was what we found was that we all four had different religions, and we could stay up till three in the morning saying, do you really think I'm going to hell? And it was fascinating. And we would go to each other's services and all over the country. We would travel together, and we would stop at churches. And once we went to Salt Lake City specifically to learn about Mormonism together. <laughs> Did you enjoy your time? Oh, it was great. Really? Yeah. Do you think I'd enjoy Salt Lake City? Yeah. Have you seen the movie SLC Punk? No. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Not yet. I run a movie series. Do you really? We're, yeah, we're watching one movie set in every state right now. So actually, SLC Punk is on the list as a possibility for Utah. Is there any <laughs> other Utah movies even? Like, is, I, is my own private Idaho the only Idaho movie? Is I can't remember. I could pull up the list if you want. I don't know. very busy. No time for that. <laughs> Anyways, that's a lovely... What's the next movie? Or what's the most recent movie? We just... We had a really cool Alabama movie. Uh, I highly recommend this. We watch, and our Alabama happened to, we were watching them in order of admission to the Union, but we happened to get to Alabama. Jesus Christ. Um, in time for Martin Just Luther King. put on Wayne's World. It's the best movie. Why are you? <laughs> no, our, our Alabama movie, everyone should watch if you can find it. It's called Crisis. It's a documentary recorded in 1963. They somehow got access to follow George Wallace and JFK and RFK around with cameras as they were going through the school desegregation crisis in Alabama. I've never seen Holy historic shit. footage like this. It was amazing. Here's the problem with that. Let me tell you, as a straight white man in America from the <laughs> north, it's not a crisis. Just don't be a dick, the south. Anyways, moving that on. That would have solved no, it. No, no, that's the final word. I'm a, I'm a straight white man running the show. Here's one of my favorite things about the Washington Post and most of every other major newspapers. At the end of the year, there's the predictions part. Mm -hmm. Your prediction is very eye-catching this year. It is the religious left will come into its own. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to read one of the paragraphs from this piece, if that's okay. This is your words. <laughs> Just as white evangelical Christians, the heirs to the Reagan-era religious right, have been a dominant force in U.S. politics in recent years, the loosely organized religious left will assert its place in 2018. That's my prediction. <laughs> we are a month in. Is your prediction coming true? Oh, what a good question. Thank you. Um, I think we had... This was probably not in 2018, this was probably the end of 2017, but we had, I think, the first openly identifying humanist identify himself in Congress. Okay. So I think that is a step. Giant leap forward. One. One person. Sorry, I'm being a dick. Um, <laughs> who was that? I am forgetting It doesn't matter. Right Did now. they say secular humanist or just humanist? You know, you, I'm going to have to go read the article. I didn't cover this. Um, oh, someone okay. else did. <laughs> I wasn't um, trying to put you on the spot. I, just I was just curious. I remember it happening. I remember I did cover the American Humanist Association, or one of those associations, tried to claim somebody earlier and said, we've got one. He's an atheist congressman. It was Jamie we've Raskin from Maryland. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, um, so, so now they have one. So I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. Okay. Uh, for the same reasons you wrote that piece in August that uh, Christians are more than twice as likely, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. I only needed to say et cetera once. I clearly did not go to Harvard. Anyways, <laughs> are you happy doing this job? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Today. Okay. Uh, I... It's like There's you're, a lot you're of bad news. Exactly. I'm not always happy exactly. about the news. In fact, I'm rarely happy about the news. This is one of the, this is horrible. It's another, anyways, let's just talk about it really quick. Um, this is about Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign aide, Bern Strider, which mm -hmm. is, if you take away the, the creep part, great name. Could we agree that that's a great name? Great name. But then you tack on the, the creep, it's like... Still a great name, right. but you shouldn't do that. Anyways, um, he was not let go in the 2008 campaign, even though he was accused of sexual harassment. He was moved, um, and then he was part of the 2016 Get Her Elected campaign, whatever. Uh, the only reason I'm asking you an opinion on this is because he was her faith advisor. Right, right. <sighs> Tell me that just being agnostic is not better than anything. Go. Sorry. <laughs> I don't... I mean, I cover religion. I'm not really here to take an opinion on it. I d would say that Bern Strider, one of the things that's worth noting about that, and that was a, a New York Times story today that mm -hmm. really, I think all of us who cover religion immediately clicked and were very taken aback by that because Bern Strider was so notable, not just for being one of the people involved in the Clinton campaign back in 2008, but because he was one of the first Democratic faith advisors. The Democrats really don't do faith outreach. Maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean... Before you clap, I don't like Bernie, so shut up. For, I mean, now you hate me. I'll take that. Give me the hate. There's an awful lot of religious voters in states that Clinton lost who... I'm not disagreeing, but do you think she actually has a shot of getting any of those people? Or not her, but the yes, next person. I think there were a lot of very conflicted religious people, especially if you look at Catholics. Uh, where their their politics often do not line up on one party or another. They care very deeply about abortion, but they also care about immigration, and they care about various economic justice issues. And having Catholic outreach by Democrats would go a long way, I think, in certain areas. I love your idealism. I want you to be right. Mm -hmm. I went to a Catholic school my entire life. I'm from a Catholic, that was the predominant religion. I was also a caddy. Do you know what a caddy is? Like for golf? Like a golf? Or like for golf, exactly. So the caddy... Like you're blah, blah. caddy towards your friend. <laughs> that is clear. I'm literally wearing a devil cat pin. RuPaul's Drag Race is back. Who's your pick? No then idea. you don't give a shit. I don't care about you at all anymore. You're done. You're dead to me. The answer Sorry. is Trixie. She's great. Anyways. All right, um, go Trixie. So I was a caddy, all right? Um, and uh, it was a golf course named Butler. I'm, I'm giving names. I'm giving timelines here. I was a caddy at Butler Golf Course, and Butler uh, used to host one of the PGA tournaments, but then they took the PGA tournament away from them because they didn't allow women to golf there, right? Um, so number one, great. Uh, they, they allowed, <laughs> this is a great course. Just, it's gotta, you got to play the links. I don't think that's what people say. Anyways, they had, the, uh, they had one uh, African-American member of the golf club. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. Do you want to guess who that is? Um, I'm 35, if that helps. 
trying to think Chicago back then. Um, Bucket, you want to take a guess? One black member at the professional golf club, private golf club. In, in the 90s. In the, in, 90s? In the suburbs of Wait, Chicago. In Chicago? It was Michael Jordan. Yes, it was Michael Jordan. I also I just missed a Michael Jordan question on Jeopardy, so I'm so glad to get a Michael Jordan question right this time. This is the same as winning money on Jeopardy. Okay, um, and then you stepped all over the story, but yours yours was way better. I'm sorry. No, you don't apologize. I didn't say that. No, you just I realized you have a better story than me. Um, here's my thing about this. I, I, I caddied for a lot of Catholic men. Um, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to have a mistress until I was in high school. <laughs> I thought that married men had mistresses because they complained about them openly to their golf partners. And these are all Catholic men. That's Anyways, how was Alex Trebek? I had to tell myself that he was a real person. He's standing right there in front of me and having a conversation, and I'm thinking, okay, this is not a hologram on your TV screen. This is a real human being, because you're so used to him on a screen. Uh, you are not the first of... Well, you, you have a friend that was on Jeopardy. Did you get any tips from any of your friends that had been on Jeopardy about appearing on Jeopardy? Did Everybody told me the buzzer is so hard, the buzzer is so hard, and I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure enough, that first category was that college basketball category. And I knew like four out of five of them, including Michael Jordan, and I couldn't buzz in. Okay. Everyone was right. How many people is everyone? There's a number of people at the Post who've been on Jeopardy. So you're saying <laughs> that really smart people that went to Harvard probably end up at prestige newspapers and then all appear on Jeopardy? <gasps> <laughs> Sorry. Did you have fun? Are you glad you did it? I'm so glad. It was really fun. Do you feel like it's going to be really hard to top anything in 2018? Because that was the tail end of 2017. Is that correct? It, well, it taped in 2017 and yes. it aired in 2018. Okay, so, so you're good for the year. Which one do you count? Are you, 2018. Are you worried that 2019 won't live up to Jeopardy expectations? That is so long away. Oh, <laughs> no, that's not how time works. Okay, um, <laughs> let's end with the, the, the funnest thing that you do, which is balloon art. That. That's the most fun thing I do. Uh, yeah. I think the, the obvious question is why. <laughs> why do I make balloons? Oh, yeah. I mean, I started when I was like eight years old. I've done it forever. And like you said, it's the most fun thing I do. Why would I stop? <laughs> okay, be because you're a successful Harvard graduate that appeared on Jeopardy and writes for the Washington Post. The I, would, I would say those are the reasons. There are times, I don't know if I should admit this, but there are times where I think, because I do balloons as my other job. It's yes. every weekend. I have three gigs this weekend and it's not a very busy weekend. It's, it's, okay, um, calm down. Stop bragging. No, I'm trying to explain <laughs> that what I, my point was. My point is that I do all these balloon gigs and there are moments every so often that I think, okay, I have to quit one of my jobs and I really can't quite decide which one it would be. Have you ever, okay, I'm assuming that most of the balloon gigs are children's parties, uh, corporate mm -hmm. events where you make giant sculptures, occasional wedding, occasional bar mitzvah, is that correct? That's exactly right. Okay, have you ever um, accidentally, not accidentally, have you ever been booked for an event and then realized, I covered these people, these are the evangelicals that did those things to that kid? Yeah, I can't, you're right, there are gigs I can't take for that reason. Have you been offered any gigs in the Washington, D.C. area that there's a clear conflict of interest and they don't realize you're the same person that writes for the Washington Post? Yes, and I've turned gigs down for that reason. Do they give you, like, cool perks when you do balloon gigs? Are they, like, the spread in the back is to die for? No, it's actually one of the things that is the most amazing to me about doing this job is how people never give you food. You go to birthday party after birthday party in people's homes, and they're serving pizza and cake, and almost none of them offer you a piece of pizza. Do you interact with a lot of clowns? Yeah, I, I technically am a card-carrying member of Clowns of America International. I only join for the insurance rate. I'm not a clown anymore, but I still pay my dues every year. Hold on. You don't use the Washington Post insurance? Is clown insurance better than the Washington Post insurance? Please say yes. No. Come on, Bezos. Step it up, Amazon. Um, Are you worried that once your corporate overlord is tired of having fun with the newspaper, you're going to be out of a job? Not worried so much about that. Good. Um, you got the I balloons. <laughs> I, I'm being a dick. I, I could talk about Jeff Bezos. I'm not going to talk shit about Jeff Bezos. Okay. Do you have an Alexa at home? No. Well, I did, but I gave it to a friend. Due to obvious reasons of, like, 
they're listening or like no just I wasn't I won it actually in a Washington Post scavenger hunt and I wasn't using it very much and she had much more need for it <laughs> do you do you believe in IQ tests mm, have you I, taken one no okay because you're afraid that you would do too well and no one will, like people would be intimidated or you're like I, I think I'm smarter than this or you just think it's all bunk I guess I have never come across any need to take one. It's, you know, if I were being challenged to one by the president or something, I would take it, but... That actually might come to fruition, actually. <laughs> right. And the fact that you just said this and it's documented, right. that's probably going to happen to you. I think you have a very interesting job, and I like reading your stuff. I hope you don't get sick of it and just decide to blow into Mylar until the end of time. I, I plan to keep doing both, except for those moments where... I can't figure it out. I plan to do them. How strong? Is there a way to test your lungs? Oh, you should never blow. If you see, like, the long balloons, the long skinny ones, the 260s, don't mouth inflate those. I have a friend who was hospitalized. Don't do it. Hold on. How? <laughs> I, wait. It's not. Okay, stop. I, I, I'm not saying that you don't have a friend that was hospitalized. That happened. It did. It wasn't just blowing up a no, balloon. She strained her diaphragm. But it's a clown hospital. It's all Patch Adams walking around. <laughs> well, we're not going to top that. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Julie Zausmer, everybody. Julie, thank you. Well, that's why you're the co-host. You ended really strong. I probably should have been like, hey, Smithsonian, not Runwick. Is it okay this much to talk about God? And then I looked around, and I'm like, all of the statues are demons. I think it's perfectly fine. There's demons everywhere. I love this. There's a demon thing like 200 feet forward and then about 30 feet to your left. It's great. You know what I'm talking about? That like demon-looking thing right there? It's a ripped man with like a demon skull. It's awesome. Anyways, pro-Satan, hail Satan, coming to the stage. One of my favorite people in Washington, D.C., my mom's favorite person in Washington, D.C., and that is a fact, not an opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, come in the stage for color commentary because we didn't talk enough about race relations. Please put your hands together for Haywood Turnipsey Jr., everybody. Hey, hey, wood, wood. <laughs> Rock and roll was never good. Hey, hey, wood, wood. Please stop, please stop, please stop. Oh, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> I don't get gin blossoms? I mean, I like gin blossoms. Hey, 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 wood. What the fuck with that? Excuse me, can I cuss in it? I mean, clearly <laughs> I just no. did. Hey, how you doing, Smith Sony? I think that was racist, Andrew, and you should apologize. Well, I was trying to do the Seinfeld <laughs> thing. I'm show my parents love me. <laughs> Half the crowd is like, what happened? It's a different world for them. Hey! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the theme to a different world. Hell. This is like the fucking bat cave, though, isn't it? There's like a big dinosaur in here, a big-ass penny, a big jack in the corner. Where's Jack? <laughs> Who made that? Julie. <laughs> Who minded it then made it? That's I, what I want <laughs> will, you, will you talk for like 10 seconds? While of I course I will. Let's keep talking about that big ass Jack. Where's the ball that goes with it? Hold on one second. And this is the house that Jack built. We give away gifts to every guest on the show, and I forgot to give Julie her gift, so I'm going to give her the C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce, a fantastic bus ride from hell to heaven, <laughs> a round trip for sun, but not for others. I'm just trying to save her. That's all. So I'm going to give this to her, and you're going to keep talking. For the religious girl. Hey, how you doing, faithful sister? I like that. I like that. She said, have you ever been in a judgment house? I grew up Muslim. I grew up in a judgment house. I got Andrew, I got Andrew Bucket this uh, gray Land Rover hat, because I think it'll fit his style. There's, that's for you. This is hilarious. And then for <laughs> Haywood. Fish your chest being out right now. It really does. Can hey. finally stop looking like I'm doing Empire Records cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the show's over. We had the best run ever. That was 10 years. We're never going to top that line. This wagga, is a, wagga, wagga. This is a Washington National slash uh, Devil's Backbone Brewing Company hat that says Earned Run Ale. This is for you, Haywood. For the people at home, he just gave me a hat that says Make America Great Again. <laughs> <laughs> MAGA. 
I have a friend named Eric Maga. And then here, <laughs> he can never live that down. I just saw now. on Columbia Road there's some furniture store called, called Maga. Maga. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's an unfortunate name for a furniture Outlier. store. Outlier. Oh, they're doing this. Uh, they're doing a, uh, my, the museum I work at. Yep. They have, the uh, National Gallery of Art has a new exhibit called Outlier. So I also have one-inch pins for all the guests. Could you keep talking? I have this, actually. He gave me a pin of the place I work at. I already have this pin. I'm an outlier. <laughs> I'm outlying right now. All right, keep talking. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Wacka, wacka, wacka. Maga, maga, maga. Every episode of You Meet Them, Everybody in Washington, D.C. features a segment called Please Stop Playing That. Oh, do that. Oh, God damn it. What are you playing? Why do I know that horrible song? That's, that's a... Love. <laughs> Where would you be now? They know I know the Doobie Brothers. Hey. Without love, can my train to come? That's a mad hit right there, boy. We always do something called color commentary uh, where we talk about race relations, usually in a bar or a theater, and we make people very uncomfortable. <laughs> but this edition is a part two. Part two. This is uh, black pa and white duos. Part two. Part two. <laughs> and this is, this is one of the few segments that we, done, that we do that don't really devolve into like sadness. No. So this is a nice one. Well, we can have fun with racism. and. <laughs> Heywood, I don't know if you knew this, but we this this side of the table, we've been having fun with it for hundreds of thousands of years. It's really been working. I would say hundreds of thousands. I would say four hundred years specifically. Um, but that was a really bad joke about slavery. Hey, forget white people don't want to be reminded of that. Hey, it is, it is. They forgot when they saw Kevin Titt. They was like, look at this guy. <laughs> I was like, look at him, look like a young runaway. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, the fucking oh. afro, no beard. I was like, go ahead, young man, get a job. Uh, yes, yeah, so we do talk about race, we talk about fun things, and we have fun with the bad things that go on in this world because right now, hey, race is a hot button topic all over again. It's making a strong comeback. Literally, racism is the new black. Too much, too much. <laughs> so, Haywood. Smart people don't like smart jokes. Black. <laughs> Black and white duos. So black and white duos because at the beginning of the year we want to have fun because we started devolving into, as, uh, for people who already know what we talk about, it basically started becoming what did Trump do this week? So I was like, hey man, like we're a black and white duo and I was watching Michael Che and Colin Yost do their thing and I was like, hey, they kind of riffing off of us. They're young and cute, but we should also be in GQ. We might not make GQ, but we could be in Vanity Fair, I would imagine. <laughs> I would take Vanity Fair over GQ. Well, let's do it. That being said, I started realizing that black and white duels are pretty much what America's all about. Like, we get to the, like, the black and white cookies, so on and so forth. So last time we did the segment Thomas together. Thomas Jefferson, Sally Hemming. Well, that's not the same. <laughs> but it's also awesome. You know, that's how he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He was, he was like, I want to get out of here. He was like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That everybody's created equal, except for your ass, Sally. <laughs> He was like, what am I writing this, de what do I declare in this Declaration of Independence? She was like, I do declare, I want to leave. But <laughs> 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 I, would like to, I would like to go and come as I please. But <laughs> I like Bucket's weird like late laugh, like he just realized, oh, that's what they're chatting about. Okay. So black and white duos, and they got the idea from watching the episode of Seinfeld where they had the black and white cookie episode, and they talked about how the black and white cookie is literally the uniting force of America. Do you know what the black and we talked about this before, but the black and white cookie in Germany is actually a delicacy of Germany. You know what it's called in Germany? Amerikanse. I didn't, I did not know that. Yes, black and white literally means American, just like a newspaper is a black and white, which is a great black and white duo. Big up Washington Post, I saw that movie. Let's stop printing trees, killing trees to make papers, but read. <laughs> you know, you know the old joke, what's black and white and red all over? The latest suspect. Anyway. <laughs> that was good. I need to keep that. <laughs> you popped yourself. That was good. All right. So we did, we ran out a whole bunch of black and white duos. We talked about the Lethal Weapon duo. We talked about uh, uh, a few different folks. And I realized during the black and white duo, there were many black and white duos that I left out. Okay. Like one being, we already talked about it tonight. Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Oh yeah, that is an amazing. Actually, actually, it's Phil Jackson and every black NBA basketball player. That's correct. That's <laughs> Great. correct. Phil Jackson with black basketball players literally equals championship. I don't know what, unless he's not coaching in New York. It doesn't mean the same thing. No. Right. This is how I boycott football by talking about basketball. Uh, another black and white duo that I really am fond of: Run the Jewels. Sure. 
that's a great black and white duo. They actually came together, they took hip hop in a different direction. It's hip hop, it's electronica, it's independent, and it's mainstream at the same time. It's black and white. That's literally like what it is, because you know how white people come to the black clubs to find out what's hot, and then go make it white and yeah. famous. It's worked out <laughs> incredibly well. This is happening on stage, real time. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at their appropriation, this is amazing. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and then the audience is just like, because due to you, the, I, that was the first time I heard the Run the Jewels was the concert that uh, you got, you sent me to the tweet from, and I was like, there are a lot of white people to see Killer Mike. Yep. <laughs> like, this dude's name is Killer Mike. He has a song called Burn. <laughs> Literally talking about burning the White House down, which he did six blocks from the White House, and I was like, he is my favorite black man in front of white people right now. And then he brought in... Bernie Sanders, which is another good black and white duo, Killer Run Mike and Zach Bernie Roca, which is the Run them jewels fast, Run, but Zach Delaroca is not white. No, 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 but white kids <laughs> love Zach Delaroca. Oh yeah, 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 because he looks white. <laughs> 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 another good black and white duo, us being from the Midwest, you being from Chicago, me being from Gary, Indiana, fucking Chicago White Sox pinstripes. That is a great black and white duo. That's right. That That's is right. amazing. When, right. those, when those uniforms came out, every black fucking hip hop person became a White Sox fan. You put on the White Sox hat, Dr. Dre said it. I will put the nine to the side of your White Sox hat because you're wearing it. it, is, it is. Dr. Dre and Eminem, both men hate women but, and abuse them, uh, and then they made millions upon millions of dollars. But we did Good that. For them. We did that last time. Sorry. <laughs> you literally said the same thing last time. It's not a repeat episode. The white man just forgot his place. The Rock. <laughs> the, the Rock is not white. Let's no, not do no, it. No, no, let me finish. But I will say Barack's parents are a great black and white there duo. No. They proved that, hey, black and white people would come together to create something amazing. Somebody who wants better for us. The Rock and Mankind, <laughs> the Rock and Sock Connection, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, one of the ugliest, craziest looking white dudes of all time. With but most I will say Junkyard Dog and Hulk Hogan. Great black and white duo. No, Junkyard Dog is way better than Hulk Hogan. I'm sorry. Oh, hey. Bro. JYD is where it's at. Uh, <laughs> he's, my, he's, he's my favorite from that era. How do you bring it back to wrestling, the rock and mankind? <laughs> you serious? Because it's Raw 25, and that's how politics works. That is works. true. That is true. Put this rock Wake in, up. Put this rock with a sock in your mouth, and then let's see what happens. Socko. See, you get it. Another great black and white duo, Django and King Schultz. Amazing. Don't know if you like the movie or not. We might not like the people who made the movie. But hey, King Schultz showed that black man how to use a gun, and it was over from that point on. I love Germans. <laughs> Another great black and white duo, JD and Christopher from Scrubs. <laughs> All right. They were so black, they were so fucking uh, vanilla, they didn't even seem to be black and white. It was just like, these are two guys who are having a great life together. And they were friends forever, if you understand. Remember, they went to medical school together. They didn't just meet in medical school, they knew one another. Another great black and white duo, Cher and the black girl from that movie that she was in. <laughs> you know the movie I'm talking about. What movie was it? I, it was Cher, because Donald Trump. The kid Fake, with the face? Exactly. You know oh. exactly. No, you're talking the about mask. mask. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm talking about Cher, who was played I was like, by. like, there's no black people hold in on, Mask. Hold on, hold on. Are you talking about Clueless? Clue there we go. Oh, Alicia Cher and her Silverstone. Yeah, that, that was a great oh, black and white duo. Not girl. the actress Cher. And not the actress Dash. Cher. Cher and Stacey Dash. You mean. Yeah. Crazy right-wing Republican Stacey Dash. Which and brings me to another great black and white duo. Alicia Silverstone. Stacey Dash and Fox News. That is a great <laughs> black and white duo. Because I don't even believe that shit is happening. <laughs> Every time I look at it, I'm like, really, nigga? Like, are you serious? When is the last time you watched the All Falls Down video? Ooh. That was a great video. It's been a minute. And she yeah. was, you know, she's Damon Dash's cousin, which is amazing. He I was, did not know oh, that. Oh, yeah, she's Damon Dash's oh, cousin. Oh, shit. Yeah, if not, his little sister or well, something like that. They're related. Really? That's how she wound up in the video. Hmm. So, yeah, they're pretty, uh, it's wild, one of those wild things. Another great black and white duo, Piano Keys, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You just said ladies and gentlemen to try to get a laugh. I didn't even try, 88, I didn't try, I knew it would, because it's so simple, 88 keys, and look, it just makes magical notes. Amadeus showed us. <laughs> 88 keys, along with those lines, dominoes. <laughs> All right. Black and white duos, poor white folks and poor black folks could come together and play dominoes. You know how good dominoes are in black and white dominoes? Go to Afghanistan, you know what they're playing right now? Dominoes. Yeah, guys, go to Afghanistan right now. Or don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. They play dominoes. Yeah. Another great black and white duo, David Bowie and Iman. Bowie. Whatever. 
<laughs> he's from the DMV, though. He's allowed to say David, David Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> David but Bowie. A guy they named that part of Maryland. I know what his name him, is. Right? It's David Bowie, but it's, it's Bowie. He's got a part in Maryland named after him. Uh, he's Henry VIII. He is <laughs> another great black and white duo, Key and Pill. I just had to because you didn't know who was who. Uh, <laughs> which also brings me to Amos and Andy, another great black and white duo. But this was a black face and white duo. Uh, ah, that's the racism part that doesn't feel so good, right? We were right there feeling great, and then we yeah. went and took a dive. They were like, yeah. oh, yeah, we used to make fun. We're good at losing people. Vader and Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Darth Vader. Not Attica Skywalker, bitches. Darth fucking Vader, the blackest villain in the universe. Him and that white man, you rule the galaxy together. God, I need a white leader. What are you, what are you waiting on? We need to rule the galaxy. <laughs> Another great black and white duo, Will Smith and Carlton. <laughs> if you don't know, Carlton, there was an episode where they called him an Oreo because he was a black man and they thought he acted a little bit white, which means Oreos are a great black and white duo, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you've ever had an Oreo. That's what DC used to look like. It had fucking, it looked like an Oreo. <laughs> It was black all around and had a white, creamy center called Capitol Hill. <laughs> that white, creamy center called Congress. <laughs> that might be my favorite. I know. Another great black and white dude, we talked about Kanye, Paul McCartney. Yeah. They took two great songs together, and I, think, I wish they had to come together and put an album out because I think that would have been pretty good. Uh, another great black and white duo, George Michael and R&B music. <laughs> 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 All right, we got to wrap this up. Got to have faith, which we was what we were talking about. <laughs> we got to wrap this Another up. Another great black and white duo, bowling balls and pins. Black balls knock down pins with red necks. What's a better game than that? <laughs> <laughs> white pins, ladies and gentlemen, white pins. I think I, I might just end on that note. <laughs> That's the perfect way to bring up our musical <laughs> guest, who is a black and white duo. Hey. It's true. We're going to have uh, a, a slow love come up here. The point of doing that kind of stuff is to show that, guys, we're not that far apart, ladies and gentlemen. We may claim to be, culture may separate us, race may separate us, religion may try to separate us, but it's the music that brings us all together. Haywood Turnsey Jr. is one of the best comics in Washington, D.C. He's recently been on the Washington City Paper cover, and you could see him most every weeknight, Mondays at... Madam's Oregon. And Tuesdays at... Solly's Tavern. And then you occasionally do a show every single Friday night. Every Friday at the D.C. Draft House. It's called the Draft House Comedy Theater, 1300 L Street. We do the late show. Come on through. And you'll occasionally see him in theaters in and around D.C., Baltimore, oh, yeah. whatever. I prefer um, you got any other, follow him on all social media platforms at Simon. At Woody Seed. Woody Seed. Yep. Um, or go to my uh, website, which I have now, HaywoodTurnipSeedJr.com, and Dr. join my newsletter, and we will keep you posted. Ladies and gentlemen, please on. put your hands together for one of the funniest people in Washington, D.C., Haywood Turnipseed Jr. Thank everybody. you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You miss Tom Petty yet? You going to miss Tom Petty this summer? When I'm you, not interested in Tom Petty. You're not interested in Tom Petty? Oh man, you're not really American, are you? No. It's disappointing. I'm not sure how to sound in the crowd. So I'm gonna come out and visit.